Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello and welcome to the Vineyard. I am so excited you're here. We're in our third week of our series called The 714 Project. And it's so much more than a series. This, this is a journey we're taking together as a church. And if you're just joining us for the first time this week, I want you to know it's not too late for you to participate. In fact, I wanna encourage you to participate in all that we're doing with the 714 Project. Now to do that, you're probably gonna to wanna to go back and listen to the first two weeks of this series. I set it all up in week one and uh, tell you what all we're doing. We're, we're doing multiple things. We're, we're praying at 714 in the morning and 714 in the evening. People have prayer partners. We're praying on our knees uh, and there are, uh, we're going through a devotional journal, which is a huge thing. Uh, in fact, there's a devotional journal and a book that's, uh, that's so important. And you can get all that information on the first week of this series, but I'm telling you it's worth doing. It is changing people's lives. I love what God is doing through this series. I mean, couples are praying together. Many for the very first time in their married life, they're getting on their knees and they're praying together. And you can't fathom how powerful that is. In fact, the research shows us that couples who pray together stay together. Uh, literally, like the, the divorce rate in our, the world around us is around 50%. The divorce rate in the church is around 50%, but not among couples who actually pray together. It's very, very small. Uh, and that's because we're inviting the power of God into our relationship. We're, we're connecting on a spiritual level and, and, and we're, we're connecting around the intimate and topics of our lives and the things that matter the most to us. It is such a powerful way to get on the same page as a couple. And we're seeing that happen throughout our church. We're watching people's faith go deeper, where people are learning the beauty of fasting and, and nurturing a conversational relationship with God. People all over our church and all over our country, because there are people participating from North Carolina to New York to Florida to Arizona and all over. People are praying big, bold, God-sized, God's got to come through faith-filled prayers. And guys, that is powerful when you start praying that way. And we are seeing God move. And how cool is that? This has been amazing. And so if you're joining us, you've got to do, you've got to go back and you can just start today or tomorrow and, and begin this journey, no matter when you're watching this particular sermon. And I really want to encourage you to read the devotional because there's so much more on prayer than I can just cover in five sermons. And that little five minute injection of, of prayer teaching and, and a next step every day over a 40-day period of time is just powerful. Now, the devotional we're, we're going through is called Draw the Circle by Mark Batterson. Uh, and, and he uses this idea of drawing a circle as a metaphor for praying big, bold, persistent prayers to, to knock and keep knocking, to seek and keep seeking, to ask and keep asking, just like Jesus taught us to pray. To, to not give up. Jesus 
uses the parable of the woman who wants justice and she keeps knocking on the judge's door and keeps knocking and knocking and knocking until he gives her justice. And we're supposed to pray with that same kind of persistence. And, and that's what this, this idea of drawing a circle around our prayers and really focusing on them and focusing on God does. It's such a great read and I'm hearing such great things uh, from, from people all over as we continue through this series. And we're learning about prayer, guys. We're learning that prayer isn't so much about getting what you want, but getting what God wants into you, into your life. We, as we connect with God on a regular basis, as we develop this conversational relationship with Him, what happens is our hearts begin to align with His. And that's when things get effective. And that's when, when our spiritual life becomes powerful. And as we do that, we deepen our connection with Him and we begin to recognize His voice. And boy, things change then. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to, to listen to in the car uh, talk radio. Now this was before like modern conservative talk radio. This was back in the early 80s and he would dial in KDKA out of Pittsburgh. And I hated it because, because there was always static. KDKA wasn't quite close enough to come in clearly here in Wheeling, West Virginia. But he would mess with that dial and it was an analog radio dial. And he would, he would you know, twist it this way and twist it that way until he got it clear enough that he could understand what Myron Cope was talking about. Myron Cope on sports, from, if you're old enough to remember that. And he would listen to that and it would drive me nuts. But, but that's kind of... That's kind of what we do when we, when we begin this habit of consistent prayer and, and, and conversation with God is, is we begin to dial in the knob and we tune, we fine tune in our hearing so that we're hearing clearly from God. And, 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 and as that happens, you begin to sense when you're supposed to pray big, big audacious prayers and, and what you're supposed to pray for. And you begin to sense because God is leading you and, and you're hearing his voice when you're supposed to make a, a move, when you're supposed to speak to someone or, or do something. And, and guys, as this begins to happen in your life, your life changes because now every time you go out, Every time you go online, every time you talk to someone, you're on an adventure with God. You don't know what he's going to have for you next, what he's gonna, the conversation he has for you to have or the prayer that he has for you to pray. And as you can hear his voice, he will lead you to pray big prayers for people or, or, or do big things for people along the way. It's, it's such a cool thing because life was made to be a daring adventure, not to just kind of huddle up and be comfortable. And when you get on that adventure with God, man, you've found purpose in this world. You know, many Christians today think that, that Christianity is just, you know, well, I pray to prayer and ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, and, and I go to church, so I, I'm going, getting into heaven, and I go to church like I'm supposed to, so I'm good. But hear me, hear me in this, guys. Jesus did not take the beating that he took on the way to the cross and he did not take the crucifixion for the forgiveness of your sins just so you can go to church. He did not, he did not go through all of that just so that you have a free ticket to heaven. In fact, Jesus died so you can hear his voice, so that you can have this conversational relationship with God, so that the Holy Spirit of God can come and live inside of you and you can have a relationship with your heavenly Father. 
That's what Christianity is all about. Now, do we get to go to heaven when we die? Absolutely. Do we get to enjoy the beauty of fellowship with other Christians and, and, and having a purpose and, and a mission through the local church? Yeah, absolutely. But Jesus died so you could hear his voice, so you could have a personal relationship with him and so that he could guide your life. So what I want to talk about today then is how we pray these big prayers. And the first part of how, we've got three points. The first point of how we pray big prayers is that you, to pray big prayers, you have to listen to God's voice. You have to be led by God. And to be led by God, you have to listen. You know, there's an account in the book of Acts in chapter 8 of, a, of an early disciple. His name was Philip. And, uh, and, and Philip loved God and he, he listened for God's voice and he did what God told him to do. And in, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, I'm just going to read, read it to you. Um, it says this, it says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now I just want to point out here that I have never had a conversation with an angel. Uh, I don't know anybody who's actually had a conversation with an angel. Uh, it is not the primary way that God communicates with us. Um, does it happen? Yes, we read about it in the Old Testament and we read about it in the New Testament. And I'm sure that it has happened since, since the times of the New Testament, but it's not a common occurrence. So if you've never heard from an angel, don't sweat it. But God communicates with us in other ways. He communicates to us through his word. As we read scripture, he brings things to light. He lifts words off the page. He speaks to our hearts. In fact, through his word and cooperation with the Holy Spirit is the primary way that God speaks to us. But he may give us an impression in our hearts or a, a word that we hear, not audibly, but we hear in our minds. Sometimes we'll have a dream and not all dreams are God dreams. You might have a dream because you ate burritos the night before and that's just a dream and we have dreams that are just dreams. Don't, not all dreams come from God, but when you have a God dream, you can't get it out of your mind. You, you, you kind of know that was from God. He speaks to us in a variety of ways. Sometimes he'll speak to us in a word from another person, or maybe we're listening to a sermon and God is speaking right into our hearts in the midst of that. But God speaks and he guides. And if you'll listen and you'll tune into his voice, he'll lead and guide you. Now, at first here, this is through, through an angel. He, Philip, he tells Philip, go down to the road that leads to Gaza and wait for your next next orders. So he does. So it says, so he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian, an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candake, which means the queen of Ethiopia. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. Now, this guy is either, he's a, he is a Jewish, um, he's practicing Judaism. He went to Jerusalem to worship, but he's from Ethiopia. So either he was Ethiopian and he converted to Judaism and then travels to, from Ethiopia to Jerusalem to worship, um, you know, at some, at some kind of interval, or he was uh, Jewish and ended up getting a job working for the queen of Ethiopia, running her treasury, and is traveling back home to worship. I, we don't know. But what we know 
is that he loves God and he's worshiping God and he came to Jerusalem to worship God. But he doesn't know anything about Jesus and anything about uh, the fact that Jesus was was the Messiah. It says the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip goes down to the road and he's hanging out there. And then the spirit goes, you need to go stand next to that car over there. Go stand next to that chariot. Well, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Well, Isaiah pops up from, I'm sure he surprised the, the Ethiopian. He pops up and he's like, do you understand what you're reading? And because uh, he's hearing him and he's reading the words of Isaiah, the prophet. And the part of Isaiah that he's reading is about Jesus. It's about, about being led to the slaughter like a, a sheep or being let, you know, like a sheep is led to the slaughter. He was led to. And, and it's all about Jesus. And the guy answers back. He says, how can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And Philip climbs up in the chariot and he starts to tell him, this is Jesus. And, and so the guy would have probably been familiar because this is pretty close to the time when Jesus was crucified. And that was big news. So he would have known the name Jesus and maybe that this guy was a, a rebel when he was crucified. But Philip begins to lay out the scripture to him. And by the time he's done, this man is like, well, what's stopping me from becoming his follower? And he gives his life to Jesus. And then he has Philip baptize him right there on the side of the road. And it all started because God prompted Philip to go down to the road on the, uh, the road to Gaza. And then God said, I need you to go stand next to that chariot. Does God do that today? Yes, he does. Absolutely, he does. God has an adventure for you. He does. He will whisper to your heart, go here. I need you to go downtown. You know, you were going to go for a walk at Ogilvy. I need you to go for a walk down at the path. And you just go and you see what he, what he wants you to do. Or do this. I need you to, to, to extend this act of kindness. Or, you know, there's this person at work who, who everything looks fine with, but for some reason you sense you're supposed to go start a conversation with them and see how they're really doing. And God will prompt you and he will nudge you and he will put people on your heart and he will give you scriptures that will, will guide you. And, 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 and if we follow them, we're on this adventure with God and you never know what's gonna happen when you start following him this way. See, you are part of his plan to save the world. In fact, you are his plan to save the world. Jesus died to save the world, but we are the distribution system. We are the people who, as we follow the spirit and his leading in this world, he will lead us to people and we will help them find and follow God. That's how this is supposed to work. And it is an adventure and it's an adventure you were made for. But to do that and to pray those big prayers, you have to listen to the voice of God. The second thing is this, to pray big prayers, you have to consecrate yourself. You have to consecrate yourself. You know, Moses, I'm going to give you a little backstory here. Moses led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Moses goes, leads them out of slavery in Egypt. They cross the Sinai Peninsula and they go to the, their homeland, the land that, is, that we know of as Israel. But it had been 400 years and there were other people in that land. And, and the people who were fo following Moses were scared of the people who were in that land. And God, Moses was supposed to lead them into the promised land. And they said, no, these people are too strong. And they turned around and went back out into the desert. 
Well, they ended up wandering in the desert for 40 years because of that decision. Bad decision, they should have followed God. There are always consequences when we don't obey God. But they come, after 40 years, that generation was dying off, and there was a new generation, and there was a new leader. Moses hands the leadership reins off to Joshua, and Joshua leads the people back to the edge of the Promised Land. And at the edge of the Promised Land is the, the Jordan River. On the other side is the city of Jericho, and, and they get to the Jordan River, and it's at flood stage, and they don't even know how they're going to get across, and, and they're going to need some miracles if they're going to be able to retake their homeland. And uh, Joshua comes to the people um, in Joshua chapter 3. Let me turn there now. In Joshua chapter 3 in verse 5, and he says this, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. One translation says the Lord will do wonders among you. Guys, if you want to see God do wonders in your life, if you want to see him do miracles through your life, if you want to see him do amazing things, you must consecrate yourself to him. Now, I know what you're asking right now in your head. You're going, so what does consecrate mean? Because consecrate really isn't a word that we use in modern, uh, modern language. We don't talk, well, we're going to consecrate something. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's very simple. It means to set apart. It means I, this thing is set apart to God. So if we consecrate something to God, it's set apart to God. If we're going to consecrate ourselves to God, we're going to set apart our lives to God. Another way to say that is to be fully devoted to to be fully devoted. Is your life fully devoted to God? What Joshua was telling the Israelites is, look, we're going to rededicate our lives. We're going to fully devote our lives. And you need to do this personally, fully devote your life to God. For tomorrow, we're going to see him do amazing things. And the next day, God uh, parts the Jordan River. He actually backs up the Jordan River so they can walk across on dry land and they witness a miracle, a very, very substantial miracle. You know, um, several years ago now, when I was a freshman in college, I was involved in a ministry at, on campus called InterVarsity, and I was invited to participate in a leadership weekend. Well, the leadership weekend was at a camp in New York. Uh, the camp had just been purchased by Young Life. It's called, it was called Lake Champion. And uh, there was nothing there. It was, a, it was a dumpy camp. There were just a bunch of really dumpy cabins and a, and a dining hall, and that was about it. Um, and uh, if you know anything about Young Life, their camps are like resorts, and, and Lake Champion is a resort today, but it wasn't then. It was just kind of this dumpy camp. They had just purchased it. And, uh, and we went up, and the, God started working on my life and, and speaking into my heart in such a powerful way. See, up to that point, I'd been a Christian my whole life. I'd gone to church my whole life. I was even involved with Young Life uh, through high school. And so, you know, was making this personal connection with God and everything else. But what I felt God saying to me, if, if I could go back with this word, I, this is the word, I want you to consecrate your life to me. I want you to give me all of it, everything. I want you to give all of you to me. And I, was, and I kind of freaked out a little bit. I was like, well, well, the implications of that are, I mean, what are you going to ask me to do? 
Um, what if I don't want to be a missionary in Africa? Because everybody thinks that you've got to be a missionary in Africa if you tell God, I'll do anything, right? Well, no, that's not necessarily the truth. Although I know some great missionaries in Africa and God's called them to be there, but he's probably not going to call you to do that. But he could. What could that mean? And I spent that week, I went to, I didn't really go to a lot of the, the talks uh, and the services because I spent a lot of time walking around the woods wrestling with God because I had questions and I had some doubts and I'm like well what about this and and you know I was being taught some things in college that are like well are you really real you know and if you're because if you're not really real I don't want to you know I don't want to give up some th you know things and options in my life and all of that and by the end of the week what I knew because of how God was just all over my heart is that God was real and um and what I didn't know is I didn't know all of me and I didn't know everything I needed to know about God. I didn't have every question answered, but I knew enough. And the leader there told me as I was wrestling with this and sharing it with them, something very wise. He said, Chris, God doesn't expect you to give him the parts of your life that you don't know. He says, he said, what he wants you to do is give all that you know of yourself to all that you know of him because that's all you can really do. And that week I got down on my knees and I said, God, I give all I know of me to all I know of you. Whatever you want from me, you got it. I'll be there, I'll go where you ask me to go, I'll do what you ask me to do. Two years later, I was back at Lake Champion with some Young Life kids. It was a campaigners weekend. Campaigners is the Bible study part of Young Life. These are the kids that are interested in following God, um, the Christian kids. And, and so uh, it, was a, it was a weekend and my friend Mike was speaking and Mike, Mike basically gave the talk and gave words to what I experienced two years before in that exact same place. And he told the kids, he said, look, God, God loves you and he died for you and he wants to see you in heaven and he wants you to have a great life and all of these things are true. He wants you to have the best life and the best life you're gonna find is found in following him. All of that's true. But God wants you to surrender your life to him. He wants you to give him everything, to say, God, anywhere, with anyone, anything you say, I'm in. He wants you to consecrate your life. And he didn't use that word, but I am. And he played this song. It was a very popular song at the time. Um, and it's a song, uh, it's a love song. It's not written from God's perspective. Uh, but when you read it from God's perspective, and I think it goes both ways, from God's perspective towards us and our perspective towards him, it is a song about consecration. It's by Brian Adams, and it's called Everything I Do. And, you're, and if you're familiar with the song, you'll probably sing it as I read it. But this is... This is, these are the lyrics, they're so powerful. Close your eyes for a second and just let these words wash over you. This is, what he's, this is how it goes. It says, look into my eyes and you will see what you mean to me. Search your heart, search your soul, and when you find me there, you'll search no more. Don't tell me it's not worth trying for. You can't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Look into your heart. You'll find there's nothing there to hide. Take me as I am. Take my life. 
I would give it all. I would sacrifice. Don't tell me it's not worth fighting for. I can't help it. There's nothing I want more. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. There's no love like your love and no other could give more love. There's nowhere unless you're there. All the time. All the way. Guys, that, that is consecration. God, I give it all to you. Uh, It's worth dying for. I will do anything. You have got it. You have got me. You know, at the beginning or early part of the 20th century, remember the 20th century? It seems so long ago. There was a uh, college professor, Dr. Edwin Orr, who took a group of college students from America to Europe. And they they were in the UK and they went and toured the childhood home of John Wesley. It was a museum. And as they went through the house, there was one room that they believe was John Wesley's room. And in the corner of the room, there were two knee indents in the wood floor. John Wesley was so dedicated to God, so consecrated to God, that he spent so much time praying on his knees that there were knee indents in the wood. Can you even imagine? Well, they went on. And and, and, let me actually, let me say this. John Wesley, if you're not familiar with John Wesley, John Wesley was the guy who eventually founded the Methodist Church, but it started as the Methodist movement. And it was a revival across the whole world. It influenced the founding of this country and the early part of this nation. It was powerful. The Holy Spirit was moving through John Wesley and the Methodist movement. It changed the world. All right. And John Wesley was consecrated to God, and John Wesley prayed a lot. Well, as the students moved through the house and back out to the cars, they realized one was missing. And so Dr. Orr went back inside to find the missing student. And he found the missing student kneeling in those knee dents, those indentations, praying out loud, God, do it again, do it again. Do it again. That student was Billy Graham. And God, through Billy Graham, who consecrated his life, who gave his life to God, anything, anytime, anywhere, changed millions, hundreds of millions, maybe even billions of lives and led so many people to Jesus. Guys, consecration is powerful. If you want to pray big, powerful, world-changing prayers, life-changing prayers, to be connected with God, this consecration is a big deal. It's part of our faith journey. It's part of every faith journey. There's typically, uh, in our, our journey, we start and we, we, we discover this relationship with God and, and, and it's good, and that, but then there comes a point where, where God says, look, I want it all. I want you to give me everything. I want... There's a point of surrender, like I had. God, I'm fully in. God, I give all I know of me to all I know of you. And then there are points along the way. There's a daily point, for me anyway, where I wake up and I re-up with God. And I'm like, God, I give you all of it again today. I choose you. I want what you want more than I want what I want. But then as I learn more about myself and more about him, I give what I know of myself now, because I know so much more of myself now than I did uh, when I was 18 years old. 
what I know now to what I know of him. I learn more of him. And then there are big life events along the way or crossroads that we come to. Maybe hearing a sermon like this where we're like, oh yeah, I forgot. And we re-up with God and we consecrate our lives. That's what Joshua was saying to the people of Israel. They were the people of God, but we are going to re-up with God. We are going to give him our lives, our future, our direction. God, we're all in for you. I want to give you a chance to do that today. I want to give you an opportunity to go all in for God today. And so if you would, close your eyes, bow your head, and just repeat after me a prayer, something along these lines. Just say, God, I am all in. I am all in for you. I choose to follow you wherever you lead me. I'm in. I give all I know of me to all I know of you. And I consecrate my life to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you just pray that with me, that is a powerful prayer. That is a powerful prayer. Keep praying it and keep going all in for him because it leads to huge stuff. It leads to big miracles. Um, and, um, and it leads to God transforming your life. Well, the third part of praying big prayers is this. To pray big prayers, you have to step out in faith. It is not enough to just pray. Sometimes God is going to say to you, you have faith? That's great. Prove it. Show me. Show me. He, see, sometimes he's going to lead you to pray things that you're like, I can't pray for that. Show, show me you have the faith to, to, to pray big, impossible God-sized prayers. Show me that you have the faith to, to actually step out because there will be times if you're listening, he's going to prompt you to step out and do something that might seem strange. Like buy, buy the person's groceries in front of you at the grocery store who has maxed out their credit card and can't seem to check out. Guys, people don't do that. That's just strange. But God will prompt you to do that. He will prompt you to acts of generosity that people are going to look at you and go, hmm, or acts of honesty, like when you get something free at the grocery store and you go back in to pay for it because you realize they made a mistake. That's weird stuff. Sometimes he'll prompt you to start a conversation with somebody you don't know, and it's going to feel awkward, but it's a step of faith. Or sometimes he's going to prompt you to drive home another way just because he needs you to be in a certain place at a certain time to have a certain conversation. Do it. Sometimes he'll prompt you to pray for people. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the years where somebody's sharing something with me, it might be somebody I don't even know, and I feel like God's saying, you need to pray for them. And I'll just ask them, would you be all right if I prayed for you right now? And I've never had anybody say no. And they seem to appreciate it every time. But it's a step out, isn't it? It's a step out of faith. I think of Noah. I think, um, I think of Noah uh, living in the middle of the desert. It hasn't rained in years. And God's like, Noah, I want you to build a boat. A what? A boat, an ark. A what? Not just a little boat. I want you to build a boat the size of a city block. Why? It's going to rain. Right. It's going to rain. But Noah, out of obedience, built the ark I, 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 and, and ended up saving humanity. I think of Jericho. The, the, when the walls of Jericho came down um, and the Israelites 
set siege to the, the Jericho. It did it completely differently. The battle plan was completely upside down, but God told Joshua, look, this is what I want you to do. In Joshua 6, in verse, verse 1 through 5, it says this. Now the gates of Jericho, oh, let me, let me give you a little backstory here. So Joshua and the Israelites end up crossing the Jordan River at flood stage, not because you can walk across the Jordan at flood stage, but because God backed the water up and they crossed on dry land and he did a miracle. And then they walked to Jericho and then God gives them this order. Here's the battle plan, Joshua. Here's what we're going to do. He says, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Jericho had this huge wall around it. It was secure. It, they had the gates, gates closed and nobody was getting in or out. They were in a pretty safe situation, even though there were a lot of Israelites surrounding them. So then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men and do this for six days. For six days, Joshua, you're just going to walk around the city with all your fighting men one time. And that's going to accomplish what, Lord? But anyway, he's listening and do it for six days and then have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's, ram's horns in front of the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, not the Ark that Noah built, the Ark of the Covenant. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, here's the battle plan. This is God, Joshua, this is the battle plan. We are not going to do what we normally do. See, even the Israelites knew you, do, you fight battles with weapons, not with worship leaders. We're going to put the worship leaders out front with the horns and the, and the, and the pastors, and they're going to walk around the city first, and we're going, to, we're going to shout on the seventh day. And the walls are... Right. Joshua is risking everything here. He had to have looked silly to his men. He had to look silly to the people of, of Jericho. They're looking down and going, what is he doing? But God says, this time we're not going to fight it with weapons. We're going to fight it with trumpets and praise and prayer and circles. And we're going to circle that city and the walls are going to come down and I am going to give you this city. And God said, Joshua, are you willing to step up? Are you willing to step out in faith and trust me? And if you will, you will see great things. Let me ask you, are you willing to trust God? Are, we, are you willing to step out in faith when he nudges you to do that? Are you willing to look weird? Because sometimes it will look weird to the people who are watching. Now, I want to give a warning to you as well. Don't try to be weird. God's goal isn't for you to be weird. He's, he, he's not. Uh, in fact, I would encourage you to try not to be weird. God isn't trying to frighten everybody around you with how weird you can be. See, some people think being weird is how you get God to move. But being weird doesn't move the heart of God. Being faithful moves the heart of God. Being obedient moves the heart of God. The weirder you are, the more spirit doesn't mean the more spiritual you are. Try not to be weird. If God asks you to do something that seems out of the ordinary, you're going to have to trust him. And are you willing to? I love the movie Evan Almighty. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but it's, uh, it's uh, it, uh, Steve Carell plays Evan, and he's a news anchor in Buffalo, New York. 
and he ends up running for Congress and winning and goes to Washington, D.C., and all he wants to do is be successful and fit in and just be normal. And God shows up. Morgan Freeman plays God. He does a great job playing God in this movie. I love, love, love his character. And he shows up and he's like, Evan, I need you to build an ark. And he's like, what? And, and Evan's like, no, last thing I want to do is be weird. But God keeps showing up and, say, and giving him plans for an ark and everything else. It's a great movie. I highly recommend it. And he can't help but not. And my, my encouragement to you would be, you know, it's kind of like that I'm reluctantly willing to be weird kind of thing. Don't try to be weird. It doesn't help. But what God's trying to do in those situations is he's trying to test our faith and he's trying to stretch our faith. See, faith is, is an action. Faith is what we do with what we, we've learned and what God is, is, is impressing upon us to do. Faith is spelled, as John Wimber, the, the leader of the vineyard in the early years would always say, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Are you willing to step out? See, when you're willing to step out, God steps up. It's in the risk. It's in the, the, the taking that risk, that God meets you in the midst of it and, and Wondrous things happen. Miracles happen. Stepping out demonstrates our faith. It's very easy to say we have faith. It's much harder to demonstrate we have faith. So guys, this week, what I want to challenge you to do, um, and maybe God will give you something different, but I want to challenge all of us to pray for our schools. This is your prayer challenge if you choose to accept it. Kids are going back to school. Some of them have gone back. Some will be going back in the next week or so. Teachers are going back. And there's so much anxiousness and angst surrounding the return to school. With COVID-19, with all that's going on in the school system, of the decisions that have to be made, how many days a week are we going back, are we online, is this safe, all of that, we need to pray for our kids. And we need to pray for our teachers and we need to pray for our schools. We've got, they need wisdom. We just need wisdom there and we need God's protection over our schools. Some kids are stuck at home in unsafe environments there. Um, We've got curriculum coming into our schools that is just, well, just evil. And I don't know what's happening in our local schools specifically. Uh, But I know around the country, there has been a concerted effort over the summer to insert uh, curriculum that teaches Marxism and critical race theory and sexual uh, malfeasance. I mean, just bad stuff. And critical race theory is just a form of Marxism, and Marxism is a demonic ideology that does not belong in our schools. And we need to pray against those things. And maybe God will give you something to do beyond that. I don't know. But we're going to start with prayer. And we're going to pray over our schools. And we're going to pray for revival in our schools. And so here's what I want to challenge you to do. Circle schools. At least once this week. And maybe God will call you to do it every day this week. Pick a school in your community and walk around it and pray. It's called a prayer walk. And just pray for God's protection, his blessing, his presence, his wisdom, 
all of that. Pray for the students, pray for the teachers, and go on prayer walks. College students, I want to challenge you to walk around your campuses every day because I know you're stuck in your dorm room and you can't leave campus and you've got a lot of time on your hands. Pray for your campus. Pray for revival on the college campuses. Walk around the whole campus, a circle around the perimeter, and pray. Guys, this week, this week, let's pray big prayers. Let's listen for the voice of God. Let's consecrate our lives to Him. Give Him all of your life. He's calling you to that. And then step out in faith as He leads. And you will see God do wonders. Jesus, thank you that you have called us to an adventure with you, not just a, not just a life where we, we play it safe and we go to church and, and we get into heaven when we die, but there is an adventure and that we get to be part of your mission in this world, God. I pray for every person who is hearing this message, Lord, that they would wrestle with you, that they would ultimately give their lives completely to you, Lord, that they would lean in in this 40 days and they would, would begin to hear your voice and respond to what you're prompting them to do. And God, that we would be the difference in our world and we would be the blessing in our world, not because we're trying real hard, but because you're leading our lives. And it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.